Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned, as well as the original recording, on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy! go ahead and get started. Um, everyone, welcome to today's webinar. We're going to be discussing the results of the 2021 Niche Senior Survey. Um, I'm Angela Brown. I'm one of two Senior Enrollment Insights leaders here. Um, I specialize in K-12, while Will specializes in higher ed. And I will be moderating our discussion today. So before I kick things over to Will, I'm going to go ahead and go through a little bit of housekeeping um, these are some items that come up pretty regularly as questions. So we are going to be recording this session and we'll be sending out the link um, in, additional to, in addition to some other resources tomorrow as a thank you for attending. You can also review the results in detail on our Enrollment Insights blog, which you can get to using the shortened link niche.bz slash research forward slash research. And as you have questions or comments today, you can enter those in the box in your GoToWebinar console. You should be able to find that along the right. And we will cover your questions at the end. So now I'm going to turn it over to Will. Thank you, Angela. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, we see a lot of uh, familiar faces in the registrations, but a lot of new names too. Uh, so for those who don't know, my name is Will Patch. I'm Senior Enrollment Insights Leader specializing in higher ed. Uh, Angela will be moderating. She's my counterpoint, uh, helping with the K-12 side. Uh, I, I love working with Angela because we have such different backgrounds that we really, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from her. So you can see some of her webinars and, and podcasts uh, through Enrollment Insights channels as well. So today we're going to go through the results of our senior survey. Um, we're going to talk about some of the trends that we're seeing uh, and then hit eight of the key insights uh, that can be used tactically. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave a lot of time at the end so we can have some discussion, some questions. Uh, we had a few questions come in uh, on the registration form, but then definitely on the right-hand side, under questions, be sure to submit anything that you think of as we go along. First up here, just kind of going over what the survey is. Uh, this was our sixth year conducting the survey. Uh, it was one of our largest with just shy of 20,000 responses. Uh, these are seniors who have made their decision they're, they are currently enrolled in a college now this fall. Uh, they, were, they were students who had, they knew where they were going uh, in May and June um, because we want to see what that, not only what their uh, process of researching, you know, really that college discovery process, uh, but then we want to know what is their, uh, what is their ultimate decision-making process. So we'll get into some of that as well. Uh, every year we also look at a modal student uh, so rather than looking at an average or a median, which really might just turn out an amalgamation of demographics that might not be all that common together, uh, we always look at what is the most frequent combination. Uh, so when we look at the demographics, we look at the most frequent combination of gender identity, uh, which they can choose as male, female, uh, gender non-binary, other. Uh, we looked at their race or ethnicity. Uh, we're using a, a more broad scope so if, if someone selects that they are Asian, they're given uh, almost 20 different uh, sub-ethnicities um, sub they can select. Same with Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander. Uh, we also include Middle Eastern and North African as a, as a 
selection as well. Uh, we look at their parental education. So we can not just look at what the differences are between first-gen and non-first-gen students, but we want to know, are we seeing differences between parents who have doctoral degrees and those who have a bachelor's? Uh, we look at the type of high school they've attended. So urban, suburban, rural, public or private, boarding schools, homeschooled, uh, and all fully online high school. Uh, we look at their household income as well. So we break it up into the most recent data for the five income quintiles uh, in the US. So we see this year, the 2021 modal student, uh, she was a Hispanic or Latinx female student uh, attending an urban public high school. Uh, she had 3.5, 3.9GPA. Uh, she was first in her family to attend college. Uh, actually was first in her family to graduate high school and then comes from a household earning less than $25,000. Uh, she's also much more likely than her peers to say that she is not taking on a loan in her first year and is even more likely to have eliminated colleges based on their published total costs. And we're going to talk a bit more about that. That's a big thing we're seeing in terms of are students waiting until they get their financial aid package? Uh, you know, we'll just have to find out. Uh, we also see only a third of these modal students uh, said that she would be considering a college with a total cost more than $20,000 a year. So our most frequent combination here, uh, she is looking for a lower cost option. Uh, and despite the fact that she's looking for a lower cost option and she's not taking on loans, she's also has less confidence than her peers that she can afford the college at which she has chosen to enroll. Uh, and that's always a concern. We see this year over year that one of our lowest confidence things that students say is that they are confident they can afford the college that they've chosen to enroll at. So that, that throws up some red flags for me that they, they are choosing these colleges and yet still are concerned about being able to, to stay there. Uh, when it comes times to make her enrollment decision, she was also significantly less influenced by her friends and family and significantly more influenced by her school uh, or college counselors, uh, as well as reading online reviews. Outreach from colleges was also more influential across every channel. So whether we're looking at mail, phone calls, text, email. She was more influenced by outreach from the college themselves. Uh, she also found that virtual events, chatbots, college search sites such as Niche were all significantly more important in her enrollment decision. Uh, before we dive into the eight tactical insights, I just want to talk about two trends that are going to be affecting students and, and how you're planning. Uh, so the first here is looking at visit trends. We had seen even before the pandemic, uh, a rising number of students, very slowly, but a rising number of students who are not visiting any campuses prior to enrolling. 2020 hits, we see that double from 7% to 15%, and that nearly doubled again this year, up to 28%, saying that they have not visited any colleges prior to enrolling. We're seeing the, these highlighted in red are where we're seeing significant differences over time. You know at both ends of the spectrum, more students taking no or one um, visit or seeing fewer and fewer students. I mean, 2016, almost a third of students visited at least five campuses, really getting a feel for what it's like to be there, different types of schools, you know, getting that feel for, can I see myself on this campus? We're down to 12% of students this past year did that. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors going into this, uh, but trying to make sure that students can get the full view of what your campus is like, even if they're unable to get to campus. Because I'm sure that there's a lot of kids who would like to visit more, 
But when you get into the finances of it and now the safety of it, are offices even open? How easy is it to get time? There's just a lot of students who are opting not to do that. The second trend that we're seeing here is in applications. Uh, we had seen a fairly steady numbers across the years. Uh, there was actually a, a slight dip on the number of students who were applying to five or more colleges this year. We actually saw a spike. Uh, students were casting a wider net. You know, you didn't have as many students who just applied to one college. That was going to be their option. They were casting this wider net of five or more colleges. And we saw this in the acceptances then too. The more colleges you're applying to, the more colleges you're accepted to, and that's going to hurt yield. Uh, so I'd, I'd be interested to hear about everyone's yields this fall uh, because, you know, just from what the students were telling us, it looks like yields should be down quite a bit, uh, which is going to make planning harder. You know, if you don't have the uh, the consistency that you're used to in terms of knowing what your incoming class is, that's going to hurt things. You're going to have to plan for more melt. You're going to have to plan for lower yields. And what does that do with budgets? So uh, those were two of the, the big trends we saw. Uh, we'll dive into the insights now. The first one I want to highlight, uh, you know, students were more interested in colleges in urban and suburban areas rather than small towns and rural settings. Uh, early in the pandemic, students said they were less interested in entering, attending large campuses in large cities, likely for safety concerns. And now we've seen that shift back already. You know, they're not interested in attending an online college either. So even though there were thought to be some benefits, uh, you know, that's something that I think there were some people thinking that this could be a big moment for online education. And students are just saying, you know, I've, I've done online learning for my high school. I don't want to do that again. You know, we kept hearing from students they had a bad experience with that. When we take a look at, at what students were saying here, 6% uh, of students said they only considered urban campuses and 38% said that they prefer them. So right there, almost half of students saying that they would consider attending an urban campus. Uh, only 13% of students say they don't want to attend an urban campus. So that's a major selling point right now. If you're in a big city, really sell that, sell your place. Uh, more than half of students were neutral about suburban campus, but those who did have a preference we're more likely to have positive feelings about suburban campuses. When, when we get into small town, rural, online institutions, we see them as detractors for institutions. Students had more negative feelings than positive feelings when we asked about attending those. Uh, only 7% of students say they would consider a fully online institution. So that's something that if you are an online college or if you're trying to sell an online program for a traditional campus, there's going to be some work to do. You know, how are you different than what the students have experienced when they were doing online learning in high school? Because there's that, that's just not something they're seeing as favorable right now. When we look at the size of the college, you can see right off the bat, mid-sized colleges have a slight advantage. But we don't see that same level of detraction for smaller, large colleges that we saw with the location. Uh, what that means tactically is that it's going to be more important for colleges who are in small towns, and rural areas, especially for online institutions, to find students who are looking for their type of college. And whether that can be with tactical inquiry generation campaigns, lookalike marketing, competitor overlaps, you know, you really have to find the students who want your program, your culture, and your location. That's going to be your golden ticket. Really treat your campus like a character in this story and showcase it in all of your marketing. 
talk about what makes your location something that students should really want to be excited about. You know, if you're an urban campus, that's going to be easier because more students are looking at that. But if you're in a small town, if you're in a rural area, really highlight what makes you an advantage and really find those students who want to be there. Don't try to to hide it behind talking about how great your campus is and it doesn't matter what's off campus because students do care. So really highlight your community and why students should be excited about it. Second insight here, while most students do start their college search early, we, we don't want to neglect those late bloomers who start actively searching during their senior year. Uh, you know, everyone's recruiting younger, younger students. There's this rush trying to find all the freshmen, sophomores, and seventh graders and eighth graders. But finding them when they're actively searching is going to be more critical because they can take actions then. They're going to engage with you. It's not just going to be spam hitting their inbox. So when we look here at when students started looking and when they were actively searching for colleges, only 17% of students said that they started before their junior year. So there's not really that huge reason to start actively pushing search early. You know, there's going to be some awareness, some branding that, that makes sense early on. But just because you can buy names for younger students doesn't mean that they're ready for it. It doesn't mean that they necessarily need your view books and your emails as a freshman. You know, we had 28% of students say that they started during their junior year. So that's something that we see. So you have 55% waiting until a little more than a year out. You get into that summer before senior year, during senior year. That's when over half of students start actively looking for a college. So having timely responses to your juniors and your seniors should really be a key in your strategy. You know, how do you get these active searchers into your funnel and then begin providing that relevant information right away? So making sure you have daily uploads and daily responses. You know, don't wait and do a weekly upload of your inquiries. If you can get them in every single day and respond right away while they're actively searching, you know, that's, that's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to talk to them when they're ready to talk to you. Uh, we had 6% of students say that they started during the spring of their senior year even. So don't count out the late apps, late inquiries. Uh, I, I don't think most people would raise their hand and say, nah, I'd, I'm not interested in 6% larger class. You know, 6% of these kids are waiting till spring. How many people are doing spring searcher campaigns? You know, half of these students that were looking in the spring were first-generation students. So they're going to need the support. They might be less aware of the expected timelines. Um, only 53% of them, too, said that they had a counselor at their school supporting them. So having that educational approach and being supportive in terms of timelines, expectations, uh, will be a great way to help these students who might be coming in late. They might be feeling extra stress. And so being able to come in and say, nope, you're still good. We can get you in. Here's what you need to do on a compressed timeline. Uh, you really need to work to understand students' timelines so that you can get the right information to them at the right stage. You know, be there to support their search when they're actively searching. Um, so think of it as brand early, and then those conversions come later. You don't necessarily need to be pushing visits and, and why they should be only caring about your institution, freshmen and sophomores, because that's not where they're at. So get your name out there, help teach them about the process, why they should care about certain things, um, but then really focus late junior year, senior year on those conversions. Our third insight here, uh, and this is one that, that is going to take a lot of collaboration across campus, we asked about price sensitivity, and that's been a focus of the survey since the beginning, and student attitudes are shifting quickly. 
the discount rates don't matter if the students don't apply. Uh, you know, you're going to hear me say this again with our class of 2022 survey uh, that's coming out, the parent survey that's coming out in the next couple of months. The old pricing models have to change. Uh, only just over half of students said that they would even consider applying to a college whose published cost is over 30000 a year. Now think about the number of colleges who are over 30000 a year. Keep in mind that this is a survey of students who did apply. So students who opted not to apply anywhere because of cost concerns aren't included. So think of this half as your maximum market share if your sticker price is over 30000 So, you know, last year was the first time that we saw the majority of every income quintile saying that they eliminated colleges based on the published cost. And that continued this year. Uh, you know, for the class of 2021, 73% of students eliminated colleges from consideration. They wouldn't apply based on that total published cost, uh, that sticker price. Rather than wait and see how much aid they would receive on the back end, they were looking at what they had up front. And I just don't see that reversing, either until the published cost goes down uh, or until something dramatic shifts. Uh, you know, I, I always liken it to I'm not going to walk into a burger restaurant and expect to pay half of what the price is on the board. If it says $2, I'm expecting to pay $2. If I'm not willing to pay $2, I'm not going to order it. So why would we expect people to treat this bigger investment any differently? You know, a teaser here, when, when we talk about the uh, fall class 2022 survey uh, that's going to be coming out in October, you know, we see that increase yet again. So it's even higher than 73% for the class 2022. Uh, we had 13% of students who said they would only consider applying to a college if that total cost is under 10,000 a year. Things start dropping off quickly once you hit 30,000, and only a third of students said they would consider a college over 50,000. So this is a topic that has to be tackled with financial aid, with leadership, but this is something that has to be addressed. This isn't something that we can just sit back and say, well, students will just keep applying. They apply every year. We're making it harder every single year if the price keeps going up. Our fourth insight here, you know, moving on from cost, campus safety is very important to students. You need to think about how you share that and what it means as well. So we also asked, well, how do students evaluate safety? What does safety mean? Uh, because safety means different things to different people. You know, physical safety is the biggest factor. I mean, of course, that, that makes sense, really. But a place for female students to feel safe was also important, both male, female, and non-binary uh, respondents. Uh, we don't want to forget either that colleges are a place for learning, and students want to feel intellectually safe. You know, can they ask the tough questions? Can they share diverse opinions and ideas and feel comfortable with talking them out? Uh, so think about safety in your messaging and on your website. How is it portrayed? You know, is it addressed up front or is it ignored? You know, there's something that matters to students, so I wouldn't hide it away. So talk about what makes your campus a safe place. And if there's concerns where, you know, maybe you don't feel like you can authentically say that it is, that brings up an even bigger point of things that need to be addressed. Uh, every year we ask about the important characteristics and we, we stopped asking about financial aid because that's always pretty much at or very close to 100%. Uh, so when we think about what's important to students, that's important to everybody. Uh, so safety, that's top of mind for students, followed closely by clubs and activities uh, that are offered on campus and having a diverse campus. Uh, there's also an interesting point here 
while HBCUs and, and HSIs were not as critically important to students overall, when looking at responses by race and ethnicity, nearly half of African-American and Black students said that college being an HBCU, HBCU was important to them. Uh, and 23% of Hispanic or Latinx students, Hispanic or Latinx students considered HBCUs important. Uh, that was a significant outlier from other groups. Uh, the HSI status is less known uh, than HBCUs in the public discourse. Uh, you know, for uh, those of us who live in enrollment management and higher ed, we, I think we all know what an HSI is. Uh, but 55% of Hispanic or Latinx students said that that designation was important. Uh, they want to attend an HSI. So if you are a Hispanic-serving institution, be proud about it. You know, put that out there. That is a selling point. Uh, fifth insight here. On the other side of these attractive features, we asked about what caused students to remove colleges from their list after they had considered them. Uh, so they've applied. You know, they're, they're really in the running with this college. What made them say, no longer interested? Uh, you know, some are things that we see that uh, have eliminated colleges from the start uh, and really should have been something that they, they probably wouldn't have considered this. Uh, others are going to be easily controlled things. Uh, the most common was cost after financial aid. So again here, cost is a major concern. Uh, this really comes down to what the student is offered, what the family needs. So this falls a lot on financial aid modeling. Uh, but two bigger factors that can be controlled are the 11% of students said that they had a bad, uh, they had bad interactions with staff, and then 8% so they had bad visit experiences, and that caused them to eliminate colleges. Uh, so making sure that your staff are well trained, student workers are well trained. Uh, you know, I think that it's also really important to make sure you're paying student workers so you get the best quality there. Uh, looking at your extracurricular activities, 3% of students said they eliminated colleges for lack of an artistic opportunity. And then you compare that with only 1% saying that it was for lack of athletic opportunities. So both here and then elsewhere, we keep seeing signals that fine and performing arts are more important to students uh, in, in this class than, um, than athletics. Uh, that's been a shift over past years. Uh, we've been seeing this really, it started during the pandemic. There were more students started saying they cared about the arts. Uh, sixth insight here, we asked about messaging and outreach preferences, and the top channel for students was email. That's the best way to get in touch with them. But mail and video chats were less impactful than email, uh, but they still carry weight for students. Uh, texting and phone calls were much less impactful, and more students said they were not influential than said they were influential. But 97% of students say that they want email. So that absolutely should be in everyone's plans. I, I can't imagine anymore a college that doesn't have email. Uh, so these are going to be your safest bets for providing relevant, personalized, and timely messages. Uh, on the opposite side of that, only 53% of students said they want phone calls. That's still more than half, but only 53%. Uh, so the big thing here, make sure that you ask students how they want to be contacted, and then keep those outreach personalized, keep it relevant to the student's interest in, in their stage in the enrollment process. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, this is why you don't want me talking to you all day long. Uh, insight seven here. Uh, this comes up often. So if you're managing social media for admissions and you can only be on one channel well, you should really make it Instagram. 
social is an important part of awareness and engagement strategies. We all know that now. Uh, in terms of daily usage, Instagram, YouTube, and now TikTok get the most usage. Uh, we've seen Facebook falling off a cliff. Twitter's still not there daily. Uh, but I mean, Snapchat had its day and now it's fallen down to number four. We see these trends over time. Instagram, if you look at these, it's your visual mediums. They want the photos, they want the videos. So I just want to add some context here. Just because a student uses a network doesn't mean they want to use it for their college search. So it's similar to when students flood Facebook. You know, once their parents and grandparents got there, students found other networks. Instagram is the main player in both viewing college content and engaging with it. So if you can only be one place and you're going to invest your time in one network, make it Instagram uh, for your admissions related content. This is where you're going to find the students. This is where you're going to engage with the students. You know, while the most students use YouTube, that's not necessarily their first place to go view college content. There's other things they want to do there. Uh, we also asked about what content they want to see on social media. So you see updates on deadlines and events. I just really want to emphasize that it does not mean your photos of, of a poster or things like that. They want to see you know, videos. They want to see photos. They want to see a creative way of telling that story about upcoming events, about events as they're happening. They want to be able to, to view that. And that goes hand in hand with the next two of campus life, classroom, and academics. Those are your big three. They want to see what it's like to be a student there. And that's taking classes. That's the time spent outside of the classroom. Uh, you know, down at the bottom, again, fine forming arts and athletics. But if you look at a lot of college social channels, what dominates it? It's going to be athletics. But that's the thing that students say that they're the least interested in this list. Um, so make sure to, to really showcase your full campus. Last insight here, students need more counseling support. You know, I just want to emphasize that, that there's students have taken a hit. You know, counselors were spread thin even before, um, and now things are just getting harder. This year, there was a 50% increase in students reporting that they received no counseling support. It was 21% in 2021 versus only 14% in 2020. At the school, 61% of students said they had a school counselor which is a decline from 73% last year. Uh, a similar number said that they had a dedicated college counselor, but that decline was driven by a drop in school counselors uh, who were supporting their college search. So typically your counselors who are also doing course scheduling, also doing all the additional paperwork and, and counseling and support for hundreds of students. You know, that dropped from 47% to 38%. Uh, this is where we need to see the colleges step in. This is where we need to see opportunities for CBOs, for others to help support students. You know, family and currently enrolled students were the people who had the biggest influence on where a student chose to enroll. Uh, so beyond just the search, what influenced that decision? Uh, with over 70% of respondents rating them as either important or very important when they made that commitment. Uh, we see admissions counselors, college counselors, uh, very important in that decision, even alumni. Uh, students are being influenced by your alumni. So think about how you can engage alumni in your marketing materials, in your outreach. Okay, so remember, you can submit questions on the right side there. Uh, also think about, you know, if there's questions that you want to make sure that we answer in, in future surveys. 
feel free to drop those in there. I'm always happy uh, as we collect those and, and we'll kick it over with Angela here in just a second. Uh, for those of you who are new and, and haven't been on one of these before, just want to talk about who is Niche. Um, Niche is, is where we had last year over 27 million students and families researching colleges. Uh, we're the largest platform for preschool through grad school search. Uh, we have over 1,900 partners that we help really build genuine connections with students uh, that can turn into your visits, your applications, and ultimately those enrollments. As far as how we work with schools, uh, we help you market where the students are. You know, we help you represent your school and your brand where the students are actively researching. Uh, we also use a lot of modern marketing uh, with digital marketing, remarketing, so connecting with students who are already researching you uh, and really keeping front of mind, having another voice advocating for you. Uh, we just want to help you build genuine connections. Uh, additional resources and research you can find on the Enrollment Insights blog. Uh, we have a podcast as well. So, uh, And then I'll bring it over to Angela and, and let's see what questions came in. Thank you all. Those are some excellent insights. As Will mentioned, we have a few minutes now to answer some questions. We did receive a couple in advance, so I'll start with those. Our first question is, do students or families enjoy receiving print pieces from universities and how often? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, as we saw, print was the second most influential. Uh, yeah, 92% of students said that they want print and half say they're even fine with receiving weekly mailings from colleges. Uh, I would say, you know, if I'm looking at a budget, I'm not planning on weekly mailings for all the students, uh, but they at least aren't going to be turned off by it either. Uh, so having robust print uh, is going to be great. You know, have something that will supplement what they're seeing on your social channels and your emails and your text campaigns. How do you supplement that with print and really drive engagement cross, cross channel? Oh, awesome. Next question, any advice to bring campus experiences to students while visits are dropping? Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, how do you show who you are? So I think that a couple of ways you can do that, having landing pages on your site uh, that I always think of it as a, a create your own story. So having on-demand content where students can, you know, I, I really want to dig into uh, the arts. So maybe you have some virtual tours. Maybe you have some uh, just ways of connecting with current arts students. Maybe it's um, you know some some videos, some photos. Really having having a robust way that if someone wants to dig into almost any topic, you have a landing page for that. Because then you can also drive traffic there through digital marketing campaigns, through email, through print, and bring them back to these where they can dig deeper. And you can keep these updated all the time. So if you have a, uh, maybe you just have a weekly uh, Instagram Live where you just have a Q&A with students where they're telling their story, and then you can upload some of that video, have ways of building these libraries. Um, but yeah, you have to be able to reach students who aren't able or aren't willing to visit. Um, we're also seeing, it, it, it's in the full white paper, there was this rubber band snap where you had a lot of students initially who said they wanted to stay very close to home. And now a lot of students want to get further away. So how are we, how are we going back to this two prong approach? You know, you have to own your backyard, but then you also have to think about how am I showcasing my campus and attracting students from two hours away, four hours away across the country. 
because they're going to need something different than the kid who lives two blocks away. So that's one of my big ones. You know, having just a library of photos, videos that people can can really consume and, and get a better feel for who you are. Great. We have a question that came in just now. Can you expand a little more on the modal student and how that relates yeah. to your survey results? Yeah. So the modal student, um, you know, let's see if I can go all the way back. The modal student is our most frequent combination. So she was a, a th this was interesting. This was second year um, that was a female student, Hispanic or Latinx. Um, before that, uh, for the first four years, uh, it had been a white suburban female. Uh, so we're seeing this shift. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think that finding ways to realize that we're going to be running into, if you're a predominantly white campus, that's, that's going to have to change because students want a more diverse campus and students in general are not going to be predominantly white. So how do you showcase who you are? Well, take a look on campus, take a hard critical look, talk to students, uh, you know, share, share the stories of students who are going to look like and, and have the experiences of a wider range. Cause if you go to a lot of college websites, you see the same type of student over and over again, their photos and their videos uh, and their and their ambassador programs. Really, really be an advocate for changing that on your campus. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there were any specific questions about that, uh, about the middle, modal student. But. How late are seniors willing to add schools to their lists? Very late. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, there's just a lot of uncertainty. Um, really as late as a college will allow it uh, because we see new students signing up for accounts in late summer still, you know, before they've already graduated and they're, they're still in that research mode, even late summer. It's not going to be, you know, 20, 30, 40,000, but if you need 10 more students, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. Uh, so yeah, the, it's, while most students really start actively searching that summer before their senior year and fall of their senior year. You know, there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. There's a lot of students who didn't have the support uh, of counselors or parents who could help them. And so we just see it getting pushed. You know, when you're stressed, do you always think about, you know, I oh, I have to do this thing that's going to affect me a year from now, or is it I'm going to do what I have to to survive and keep my head above water right now? So we need to think about Think about how students are behaving in that way. Any more buzzer beaters coming in? We've got a couple more. <laughs> All right. So thinking about other forms of communicating with students, do you think students would be receptive or open to receiving direct messaging through Instagram? It's an interesting one. At my institution, we see coaches doing this, but they already have a relationship with this particular student. Yeah. Ooh. Um, that's one that, that I, so I managed social media for seven years and, and we had part of that in our policy. Um, it, my mind immediately goes to everything that can go wrong. Um, I would say definitely don't unless, unless there's already a relationship and 
the student has requested it first. Uh, I wouldn't just randomly DM a student who you've talked to a few times because that can feel kind of creepy. Um, because while I would like to think that all 16, 17, 18 year olds have only appropriate things on the internet, um, yeah, it just opens up it opens up the opportunity for inappropriate behaviors. Um, so I would that one makes me cringe a little. Uh, if the student requests it and they say that's the best way to reach them, I would use it sparingly. But yeah, it 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 concerns me from a liability uh, point. It's great advice. Yeah, I mean we it it's there's questions like that when you see. Um, like right now, students are, who use Snapchat say they're primarily using it as a messaging app, uh, mm -hmm. which I find a little bit funny. But, you know, if a student says, oh, just snap me, there's there's things that make me a little cringy uh, on that, that that kind of concern me about using that. Uh, I would say if that is legitimately the only way to reach a student and they say, yes, you can, and you document that, okay. Uh, otherwise, it worries me. It's good to be aware of the cringe factor when yeah. <laughs> when you're thinking about student outreach. Yep. Okay. It looks like the fingers have stopped tapping. <laughs> so right. I think we can go ahead and wrap up. Thank you to Will for sharing these great insights with our with our attendees today. And thank you to all of you for spending some time with us this afternoon. And mm -hmm. Be, be on the lookout for that email um, and for the post of the blog and our podcast, and we'll catch you at the next one. Great. Thank you for moderating, Angela.